What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Jeff Mills, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Ahead on Fast, a snap snapback shares rising after the company's latest earnings report. The conference call just getting underway. We are dialed in. We'll bring you all the details. Plus, we're coming up on day three of the Netflix slide, and the chartmaster has a big call on what you should do with the stock right now. We'll dive in, bring you the trade. And later, the Garden State is going green. New Jersey opening up for legal marijuana sales. We've got the executive chair of one of the companies now allowed to cash in. But we start off with a major market reversal. The S&P 500 giving up a gain of more than 1% early in the the day, finishing near the lows of the session, down almost 1.5%. This, as Fed Chair Jerome Powell hints at more aggressive action coming soon. There's something in the idea of front-end loading whatever accommodation one thinks is appropriate. So... So that does point that points in the direction of of 50 basis points being on the table. Certainly we make these decisions at the meeting and we'll make a meeting by meeting. But I I would say that 50 basis points will be on the table for the May meeting. Looks like you used our desk. Was that filmed right here? He was in Washington, D.C. But getting back to his comments, 50 basis points is on the table. He's in favor of possibly front loading. Guy, why did the markets react to this? I thought we knew these possibilities already. In uh, April of 1981, Van Halen released their fourth album, Fair Warning. Please don't make a face of me. I I'm going, going somewhere with this great album, by the way. I actually the same way. thing. Go ahead, continue. And they are giving us fair warning. They've been doing it now f- literally for months since November. They've uh, trotted out every Fed person imaginable to say, hey, guess what, folks? We are not there for the market. We're not focused on the market. I mean, you read some of the comments from Bill Dudley. They said the market actually wanted to go lower. Nobody is choosing to believe it until a day like today where, again, rates move, the bond market's broken, VIX starts to get off the mat a little bit, HYG, Jeff Mills mentioned on our call, below 80, credit's becoming a concern. All this predicated on that Fed speak that the market is starting to listen to now. Yeah, oil continues its decline, Tim, and we also saw um, small caps um, suffer a little bit more than, than, than the larger indices, maybe on the notion that the domestic economy will get hit. Well, it, it was uh, it was an ugly, ugly day. I mean, the VIX was up 11 percent. But if you look across sectors, some of the some of the destruction was was awful. In fact, uh, I, I listened to those Powell comments. And to me, uh, again, evoking uh, and in a glorious way, Paul Volcker and talking about a guy who, who basically crushed and rubbed out inflation in a way where actually uh, there was a sense that you no longer had to worry about that. It sounds like that that's his goal. And I would go back to Van Halen again and say uh, their next album, I believe, was called Diver Down. Uh, And the minute we heard this, the minute the bond market got up to 295, you absolutely had a case here where the equity market sold off. And again, the destruction wasn't just in retail, wasn't just in in some of the high tech names. It was look at the resources space. Look at uh, these are demand destruction type reactions from a market that listened to Powell. Again, a Fed that hasn't hiked 50 bips since 2000, hasn't gone back to back on meetings since 2006. I know the Fed is telegraphing, um, but people seem to be taking this for granted. This is not insignificant. I I think it's, you know, guys said fair fair warning. Maybe it's feign warning. I I don't know if they're really going to do 
what they say they're going to do. And I, and I said I said this weeks ago. To me, it's almost as the more transparent they become, the more I second guess what they're actually saying. Why do we sell off? Uh, because it's a knee jerk reaction. And most of this stuff is done by computers versus human beings, because as soon as the Fed speaks, you have tape reading algorithms these days that actually sell the stock ahead based on words versus based on actions. So I would expect the market to actually bounce back tomorrow. But I do think, and General Mills has said this, markets have been jumping in a weird fashion, and it's not a real rally. And Guy has said this, I think Tim has said it as well. It almost feels as if it's a synthetic bounce where people are looking to sell those pops versus buy those dips. Yeah. Um, Jeff, when you were looking at the HYG, did that concern you? I mean, do you think that this really means that there will be um, grit put in the wheels of the economy, as I like to say recently? Yeah, so to Steve's point, how do you know when these bounces are real? Because it's always so difficult to know without the benefit of hindsight. But I did submit a very simple chart. It's just the S&P 500 against the HYG. So looking at stocks versus credit. And exactly what happened in February. So you saw a bounce in the stock market, but credit continued lower. What you've seen recently is a bounce in the stock market and credit continue lower. HYG plumbing new lows. So without that confirmation in credit, I do think that's exactly what's going on. You're seeing this knee-jerk reaction in stocks. You're getting oversold bounces. But the bond market is telling you that they're concerned about the Fed and they're concerned about the trajectory of the economy. Um, But in terms of what's going on in the market, and don't we know that 50 basis points is coming? I think we generally do. But the question is, is it properly reflected in asset prices? And I, I saw an interesting stat this week. And if you look at the Russell 3000, so we're talking about large, mid, small, basically the entire universe of stocks, you still have 17% of the Russell 3000 trading at 10 times sales or above. So for context, go back to the tech bubble, that was 14%. So there's still froth in this market and there's still room for asset prices to adjust to this potential Fed action. I will play the um, optimist on the panel tonight. That's a stretch. Guy, I know, I know. This is one of my best roles here. Um, (laughs) So, Guy, we've gotten a a number of data points so far in earnings season when it comes to guidance. So is really the story of the economy a Delta Airlines, a Tesla, Mm -hmm. and a Procter & Gamble? In which case, does it matter if we do 50 or we front load? Because all these companies are giving guidance knowing that those are all possibilities. That's a wonderful question. It matters for the market. I don't think it matters for the economy. I think the economy is probably suitable, strong enough to be able to handle it. We're terrified of it, but I think the economy can handle it. I don't think the market can handle it. That's the difference. And the economy and the market are two different things. We've learned that the hard way over the years. And you're right. A lot of these companies are telling crazy stories. The three CEOs of airlines were outright giddy over the last couple days, right? So, uh, yes, I think the economy is saying one thing. Yes, I think the economy can handle 50 basis point hike. I don't think the market can. Well, well, how about this? What's going to happen during the next downturn? They have nothing to do. So you almost are backed into a corner. We all know the inflation risk. But what happens during the next downturn? They have zero dry powder. And I've said this before. There's no such thing as a soft landing where the Fed is right now. They have to create a recession. And I know people push back against that. But to me, that's the base case, not the wor- not the bear that's case. The assumption that front loading, front loading monetary policy hikes or tightening will create a recession. There are actually some people out there who think that even though even if we 
tighten by 50 or 75 basis points or 100 over the next couple of months, the economy will not go into a recession and we will have dry powder. So so then the, the problem is, as Bullard says, they have to tighten even further because they have to create some sort of demand shock in order to squash whatever so inflation is going on right now. your assumption right now is a recession. Yeah, my base case uh, is a recession right now. And also, what about the balance sheet? Do we have any clue how much that is equ- uh, equated to as far as hikes? What's the right. tightening ratio on that? I've heard 25 bips. I've heard 50 bips. But the reason why the market is playing civil here, up and down, is because no one knows what it truly is yet. Well, I would love to know from Powell if he thinks front-loading includes what's going on with the balance sheet, Tim. I think that is a big question here. I, th- I think, he, well, I, I think he, there are two different things, and I think there's more inflation attached to the balance sheet than there is actually to the interest rate curve. And I think we've proven that uh, Q1 through Q4. Uh, again, Powell was out there saying economies don't work without price stability. There's a lot of concern around that. This is a Fed, and I, I've said this about Powell before. Uh, I think people don't understand that he is a, a much more of a dyed-in-the-wool hawk than he has been playing on TV. And I think this is a dynamic. It gets back to, though, what are we willing to pay for stocks in an environment where we know interest rates are moving higher and a balance sheet is going lower? There was many arguments, including Tina, uh, and that was probably the biggest one, which was that you had to own stocks. You had to get pushed out the risk curve. Again, the Federal Reserve was inducing people to take risks. That's what they wanted. They don't want that now. There is no Fed put under the market, and I do think equities uh, are, are, are trading that way. Look at the higher tech, and again, I would go triple Q's. My ratio would be, look at the ratio of triple Q's to the S&P. Triple Q's have underperformed the S&P by almost 6% in the last 12 sessions. The higher beta view of that is is looking at the semiconductors or the SMH ETF. And look at that against the SPY or the S&P. Over the last 16 days, down almost 11%, especially as the Fed uh, discussion has gotten a lot more intense. So what is the adjustment that needs to be made in the market, Jeff Mills? I mean, you said that there's still a lot of froth there. And it's interesting because we've seen we've seen some of these banks come out and trim. And I mean, trim their EPS estimates for the S&P 500 for the year. We just had J.P. Morgan trim by five bucks on the year, which is really not that much. Um, I think it was down to 230 or 235 or somewhere around there. So how much more adjustment do we need here in your view? Well, the, the most important thing is that I think you're going to see one more leg down and one more adjustment in these growth names, uh, even the, the growth names that are supposed to be quality. I mean, look, look at Google, for example. That stock is rolling over again. To Tim's point, triple Qs against the S&P 500, making new relative lows this year. So how much further do we have to go? I mean, I, I don't know, and that's a very hard question to answer. But what, what I think we need to consider is the non-trivial possibility that the economy starts to slow Inflation actually has already peaked. Interest rates are close to peaking. And we end up back in this low economic growth, low interest rate kind of world over the next year or so. I mean, it'll take a little bit of time to get there. But I think if we start moving in that direction and if the market believes that's where we're going to go versus the Fed just hiking us into oblivion, then I think you're going to see these growth names actually bounce max. So that's why I've been saying on the way down, on this last leg down for growth, you want to be adding to these high quality names. Because I think in the second half of the year, that's exactly what you're going to see. Maybe the Fed doesn't have to hike as much as they're currently forecasting. Maybe inflation actually will start to roll over in a way that gives them enough cover to slow down. And maybe interest rates don't go in a straight line from 3% to 4%. 
There's also the possibility that uh, that's where you want to be, because if you think there is going to be a recession, maybe you want to be in those high quality, big cap tech names because they have secular growth. And to answer the, the original question is, how does the market rectify itself? Mm-hmm. You mentioned $230. I'll play the math game. What's the right multiple in this environment? Rates going higher for that 230. 17 and a half, 18 is not ridiculous. That turns out to be the 4000 level we've thrown out a number of times in the S&P 500. All right. We have got an earnings alert here on Snap. Shares on the move after the company missed estimates on the top and the bottom lines. Julia Borson's got all the details. Julia. Snap may have missed estimates on the top and bottom lines, but we see the stock is now trading higher after it added 13 million subscribers in the quarter. That's 2 million more than expected for a total of 332 million. But as you mentioned, those top and bottom line results did miss expectations. An adjusted loss of two cents per share versus the one cent per share gain that analysts had anticipated and revenue of $1.06 billion is a hair less than the $1.07 billion that analysts had estimated. CEO Evan Spiegel saying, quote, we believe that the impact from the ongoing platform policy changes was compounded by macroeconomic challenges, which are now the primary headwinds to client demand. The company is saying that ads are being pressured by supply chain shortages and labor disruptions, rising inflation and geopolitical unrest. Snap saying that in the quarter before Russia's invasion of Ukraine, revenue growth exceeded expectations at 44 percent year over year. But then after the invasion, a large number of advertisers paused their campaigns. In the remainder of the quarter, the growth rate was 32 percent. Now, Snap is projecting revenue growth of 20 to 25 percent in the second quarter. That compares to the 28 percent that analysts estimated. But Snap saying that so far in Q2, the growth rate is 30 percent. So that 20 to 25 percent revenue guidance implies expectation of further declines over the rest of the quarter. So a lot of different numbers to keep in mind here, Melissa, and the call is ongoing. All right, Julia, keep us posted. Thank you, Julia Borson. I feel like it's a roller coaster of numbers. You think it's good and then it's bad. Tim, what, what do you make of this quarter and what is the read through through the likes of a Facebook and a Google? Well, always relevant to, to know what people thought coming in. And the stock was down 62% off the highs. The, these ARPU numbers up 17% are probably more or less in line. Uh, but when you look at the, the, the DAUs, this was a number that I, I still think is extremely important. Yes, you're getting this uh, you know, more or less in line print and, and expectations, I think, had been brought lower. But this is a stock that is not growing fast enough for the multiple. This is a stock, uh, ultimately, you're, you're getting break even on EBITDA. And I think this is something that people need to start to see to improve. And if you look at all the trends for all the other players and all the pull forward and all the things that have been such a beneficiary, uh, you tend to believe, although a lot's been priced in, uh, I think it's still a prove me story. And I don't think the stock's going to do a whole lot more on these numbers today. User growth definitely uh, is not where you need to be. And if you look at it on a chart, this was an oversold bounce after the market, after they reported. Just about two and a half weeks ago, the stock was trading in the high 30s. That's actually where it has to be on a technical level to be a buyer of the stock. If you want to buy it in an educated fashion, in a technical uh, fashion, you have to be bullish. So right now, I wouldn't be surprised if tomorrow the stock is red and continues lower from here. Um, Jeff, your read through. Look, I I just think this is the wrong stock for this market. We're talking about profitable versus unprofitable. I think in technology, the difference has been stark. 
if you look at the relative performance between profitable tech and unprofitable tech, uh, profitable tech has beaten by a large margin. And I think that's going to continue because that's usually the case when economic growth slows down. Mel, you basically alluded to it earlier, saying, is that the place where you want to be when growth starts to slow? And I think the answer is yes. So when you look at a Snap and a Twitter versus, say, a Google or a Facebook, I still very much want to be in the Google or Facebook camp versus some of these other names that maybe down the line they have the growth necessary. But for now, I just don't think they're going to work in this market. Coming up, Netflix shares cratering after earnings on Tuesday. But is it, is it finally time to get in? The chart master is here to break it down. The details ahead. Plus, not so resourceful. Shares of Alcoa dropping hard on a sales slump. We'll tell you what the CEO had to say on supply and demand. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got some breaking news on Starbucks' latest union vote. Let's get to Kate Rogers with the details. Kate. Melissa, Starbucks flagship Seattle Roastery has just voted yes on unionizing, marking another win for Workers United. The votes were 38 in favor and 27 against. This is just one of three roasteries that are across the entire United States, so there are only three of them. The second location in its hometown of Seattle to say yes to organizing. The New York City Roastery also recently voted to organize. And we should remind viewers, the fight is really here. Up, Starbucks filed two unfair labor practice charges with the NLRB against the union yesterday, accusing organizers of intimidating partners at stores in Colorado and Arizona. And the union, in turn, has filed more than 80 of these against Starbucks. More than 200 stores across the country have petitioned to organize so far, and more votes are to come. 25 out of 27 stores so far have voted to unionize. Back over to you. Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers. Tim, as a shareholder, at what point do you get concerned? I'm concerned. This was considered not a big deal uh, when we had the first rule against them. It's just absolutely a headwind. And, and again, I think they've got labor issues that are not just around their costs. Um, I think they're having trouble filling the stores with competent people. Uh, I think you got a case here on the stock. 78 and change was your March 14 low with the market. You're testing that, although the, the news in the aftermarket here, uh, keeping the stock stable. Uh, I'm worried about this level on the chart. All right. Uh, meantime, we've got a buzzkill on Alcoa, the aluminum producer, sinking nearly 17 percent a day after reporting earnings. That's the biggest decline since March of 2020. Take a look at the broader resource trade. Freeport, McMoran, Newmont Mining, Vale, all posting outsized losses 
today, Guy. Yeah, obviously concerning. We saw a similar move in early March with Alcoa. It traded up to 90, fell back to 72, back to 99. Good news is traded up to 99. The bad news is that was a 15-year high, almost to the penny, as Carter would say. A bit of a double top. I think the market was more concerned about the revenue miss, and EPS was good revenue miss. In this environment, they should be doing better. With all that said, I still think all these stocks are ownable. Extraordinarily volatile, but I don't think we're, I, we're in the middle innings at best in this commodity cycle. Mills? Yeah, I, I, I do think, I agree with Guy in the sense that the stock was overbought. It was 50% above its 200-day moving average. So, you know, any little chink in the armor, you're going to see a violent move to the downside. And I think that's exactly what we saw. What worries me about stocks like this and what worries me maybe about the commodities is just my view on the economy. So I, I, we don't have this chart, but if you were to look at manufacturing PMI versus the price of aluminum, for example, they almost look like the exact same chart. They move right on top of one another. So I know there are extenuating circumstances right now, and commodities are likely to be much more buoyant than they would be in an economic slowdown. But I think in terms of outperformance versus the broad market, given my view of the slowdown in the economy, uh, I would probably hold back on this one for now. If your base case is a recession, Grasso, then, yeah. then are these stocks a sell? I, I think they're all sells. And I think the, the saying the same thing that Guy and, and Jeff said, they got way ahead of themselves. And uh, Jeff brought it up earlier. If we are at peak inflation right now, then everything across the commodity space is a sell. I happen to believe we're at peak inflation. And sometimes you don't know it until it's in the rearview mirror. And all of these charts in this sector are signifying to me that inflation is not going higher, it's going lower. All right, coming up, has Netflix finally chilled out? Shares plummeting since Tuesday's report, but are we starting to see an entry point here? The chart master is here to lay it out. Plus, a fintech fast pitch. Our next guest has a payment stock she says is a real heater. The name, straight ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Netflix taking another hit lower, down 3.5% after dropping 35% on Wednesday. But the chartmaster says this may be the time to get into the stock. Let's bring in Carter Worth of Worth Charting. Carter, what are you looking at? Well, let's uh, before we look at the chart, let's just talk about, so there's some things that are considered reckless, and one of them, and it's a great adage, don't catch the falling knife. This is probably worse than that. It's trying to catch the falling piano. Uh, but I'm going to make the case to do it. Uh, let's not look at the chart. Let's just talk about what we know, and then we'll get to the chart. You see it there. But we have a stock, 21 January, it drops in gaps 
21 April, exactly 13 weeks later, earnings, of course, it drops 37%. So the first thing we know is earnings risk is out of the way. Is that fair to say? We're not going to get earnings tomorrow uh, to make the stock go down. The second is stock drops, they typically happen twos or threes. So we've had our first and we've had our second drop. You don't often get the third. You do sometimes, but a lot has been priced in. And then there's this. Is it about subscriber growth or who shares their password? It's not about anything. It turns out no one really knows what it's worth. The street's all upside down and sideways. But we have a stock that's had capitulate type aggressive selling and you make a trade. And now let's look at the chart. And this is important. This is just a, a ratio chart. It's the relative performance of Netflix to the Nasdaq composite since the IPO some 10 years ago in May of, uh, well, it's exactly 11. And so what do we have? Every time it's touched this line, it's bounced. Does it have to bounce? No. Cuts right through tomorrow, it's wrong. But here's what we know. If it's right and you make profit, take the money and run. If it's wrong, take the money and get out. You're wrong. But it's a trade. That's all it is. I don't know anything about Netflix other than I watch movies on it. <laughs> I'm sure not Bridgerton. Um, Carter, if it does break that line, what is the next call? I mean, you said to take your money and run. But is there another level that you would watch that it would have to hold beyond that trend line? No, there really there are no levels, okay. right? This is this is a force majeure, right? Acts of God, so to speak. It's it's an unprecedented. We've had drops and gaps in other stocks, but all bets are off. It turns out longs are wrong, shorts are wrong. Nobody knows. No one expected this. This is epic. And now you make your bets with fresh new money. Should we short it tomorrow at the open? I don't think so. So I think the trade is play for a bounce. And if it's wrong, get out. Carter, thank you. Bold call from Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Um, tomorrow is the third day. Mm. That's one of the reasons why we wanted to have Carter to walk through this call. So Steve Grasso, yeah. as the number one advocate of the three-day rule here on Fast Money, what would you do tomorrow? It has to hold. So the third day, you have to hold the low out of those three days. So I'll give you a level. So Guy and I talked about the 260 level. Then it was the 240 level. Then it was the 211 level, which is where it's at now. The next level is the 188 level. And that goes back multiple years. But what happens is if it has to make a substantive bottom. So it's not only just a three-day rule. It's got to hold the low for those three days. If it continues to make new lows, then you got to go on another three-day rule. So the three-day rule can turn into the nine-day rule, could turn into the nine second days. mortgage on the home, could turn into three, I bought into a bag. How go to nine? If you keep making new lows, then you start, the then game starts resets. all over. It resets. Wow. Um, Jeff Mills, what, what do you make of, <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's confusing. Um, what do you make of Carter's charts? Uh, we have the charts are the charts. I think they're very interesting. I think you could look at another chart, too. And I think this is really what Steve was probably alluding to. But you can just look at an absolute price chart dating back to the early 2000s and draw a straight trend line higher. And that support is right around 190. Steve said 188. So right around that level. So I would look to that if you see some weakness here. But I'll be the first to raise my hand on this. I was very, very wrong about this stock. I was advocating buying it into earnings. I thought around 350, it was going to be a good performer from there. Um, and I do think we're getting to the point now at these price levels where the streaming growth is dead. Pendulum is swinging too far in the other direction. I think it swung too far in the optimistic direction, as usually is the case. The truth is probably somewhere in between. But I don't understand the numbers that were just reported. So you know, in the very near term, all bets are off. The average price target in the street after today is about 346 or so, number one. Not that that means anything, just for context. On Tuesday, 
I came on the show and thought you'd see capitulation the next day would hold 260. We'd have a very tradable bounce. Obviously, that didn't happen. Steve Karen and I think Tim that night said, you know what, you got to fade this thing. With all that said, I mean, you traded down to 211 today. You've now traded close to 200 million shares over the last two days. You're looking what should be a capitulatory bottom without question. And by the way, mm. the billiard table in the background, the felt that matched Carter's sweater, exquisite job by him. I just want to put that out I'm there. I'm sure he thought about that when he pulled, a, he pulled on that crew neck. Um, Tim Seymour, Bill Ackman, of course, got out. He bought after the last disastrous quarter. You bought after the last disastrous quarter. How are you feeling about your position? Well, I, I think the three-day rules discussion, maybe the three-quarter rule is, is for <laughs> Netflix, because if you think about it, really, you know, this stock has gone from uh, a case where people actually believe that we didn't need to see uh, that their their subscriber numbers were linear and consistent, but that suddenly now no one has any idea where they're going to grow. I don't think anyone's going to have any idea until the next number. So um, while I was a one-day or one-quarter rule, um, I, I, I think three-quarter is certainly relevant to all of the questions around them. Every check mark in the bear thesis. But but look, at 13 bucks a share, um, which is what they're going to earn next quarter, and that's not aggressive relative to even where I, I think people believe they still can be profitable in 18 to 20 percent. This is an 18 multiple, an 18. So, um, you know, back to Willie Moscone, Carter Wolf. Uh, I mean, Carter Worth, you, you've, got a, you've got a case here where I actually believe that the stock on the charts may be interesting. But for value players, and I realize it may be too early to go from growth stock to value stock, but this stock's not expensive. Uh, and it's probably not been this cheap in, in, in a decade. All right. Well, it was also another monster day for Netflix options. Mike Co joins us now with the action. Mike, what'd you see? Yeah, so uh, no surprise. Uh, Netflix, very, very busy. It traded four times its average daily uh, options volume. In fact, it was the fourth busiest single stock option today after Tesla, Apple, and NVIDIA traded nearly 800,000 contracts. And big surprise, we've been seeing lots of puts trading for the last couple of days as well. But you know what's interesting? If you look a little bit deeper under the surface, it seems like some people are beginning to dip their toe in the water and think that they are ready to draw a line in the sand. First of all, we saw some upside calls uh, purchased that expire next week and out to May. And secondly, some of the put activity that we've been seeing were actually sales. One of the largest put sales we saw was the May 175 puts. A thousand of those were sold for $2.60 a contract. So essentially, that's somebody saying, look, I mean, I'm willing to get long the stock at that 175 level collecting $2.60 a share to do it. That may not seem like a lot, but consider this, it's about one and a half percent of the strike. It would be worth about 16 times earnings at that level. So I think we're starting to see some people getting in here and thinking, maybe it's getting a little bit cheap now. Mike, thank you. Mike Coe. For more Options Action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, we're hitting some big stock moves with the trader's choice. The name's making headlines next. But first, grab the mitts. We've got a fast pitch coming your way. The fintech name that could be a real slugger for your portfolio. Fast Money's back in two. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. PayPal shares tumbling almost 6% today, but our next guest believes the struggling stock will break out of its slump. Akshata Valkari is taking the mound for her first fast pitch. She's an equity analyst at Bruderman Asset Management. Akshata, why do you like PayPal? Uh, thank you for having me on. Look, 
you know, PayPal is a leading online provider of uh, online payment solutions to its customers and merchants. This is a company that has 425 million active accounts and over $1 trillion in total payment volume. We like it for three main reasons. Like, look, we've seen that although the pandemic has impacted long-term uh, e-commerce and retail sales trends, we believe that the online shares of uh, the online percentage of these retail sales should pick up in 2023, and that's a PayPal prime beneficiary of it. Another reason, eBay is no longer really an overhang for it. The company has has significant growth even after spinning out of the company in 2015. And last but not least, it, right now, PayPal is in an attractive valuation. It trades at a growth-adjusted discount to its payments peer group, so making it an attractive investment from a valuation perspective as well. The problem, Akshata, is that the payment peer group is, is not one that performs well in this sort of market environment. It's important to say that you, you see this for a five-year time horizon, correct? Yes, that's correct. I mean, look, there is volatility in the markets and, you know, even closer to earnings and, and you know, we have seen it overall that the payment group has kind of not performed as well in general. But from a longer term perspective, you're looking at long term retail trends, long term more online shopping trends and movements from cash to cashless uh, really growing. And that is something that's more reflective in a five year view than maybe in the next couple quarters. Akshad, didn't the company tell us that they're worried about growth when growth has been subpar and just with their interest in Pinterest, don't you think that they're worried about, the, if, you're, if you're looking at a time horizon of five years, a lot can happen in five years. And although the stock has been pummeled, it could be a value trap, which we used the other night in a handful of other stocks. I mean, yes, yeah, so five years is a longer term period of looking at you know, the stock. And yes, they have mentioned some concerns. But even for us, when we model out PayPal, we're not using consensus numbers. We're using numbers that are a little bit more conservative. And even then, we see you know a 19% expected return. You know, They can build some top line growth and compound it with a little bit of margin and maybe throw in a couple share buybacks. And you know they've gotten like an attractive return, regardless of a little bit of a slowdown um, on a revenue front. So we see that from a five-year perspective. And these underlying secular trends, they're not going away. People are going to continue to shop more online and you know, have more payments that are in the digital space. So uh, because of that, we still believe that PayPal is a strong bet. Akshata, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Akshata Balkari. Time to vote now. Are you buying Akshata's pick, pitch on PayPal? Guy? Yes, Melissa, how are you? First board. time we've done this in a while. Can you read my smart board for me? I don't know if you're able to see that in the return. Held March 2020 low, hashtag GSB. GSB is trending. That's Guy's smart board. Yes, it held the March 2020 low. Did it on decent volume. I think you get a tradable bounce. What concerns me quickly is their CFO jumped ship to join Walmart. Okay, so that's a yes. That's a yes, all Melissa. Right, right. Just, I'm just getting to the bottom line here. Steve Grasso, what do you say? I'm going to fade it. Oh. I'm going to fade the trade, although I do think it looks attractive on a technical basis because it's right around that support. I think longer term, you have too many players that are entering the space. It's sort of out of vogue, and I think that PayPal actually recognizes the fact that growth has stalled and they're reaching to buy growth versus organic growth. Hmm. Jeff Mills. I never know what to write on this board, trade, fade, buy, sell, but I, I wrote a buy here, and I, I do think I that it's, I think it's the right stock for this market, actually, in the sense that it's trading at a market multiple, but you're talking about maybe two, two times the EPS growth of the S&P 500. So I do think as earnings growth starts to slow down for the broad market, 
even if PayPal growth slows, it's still going to be above the broad market. So I think you play it for more of a trade than a five-year time horizon. Tim Seymour. Mel, what do you think of my smart board? It's, uh, it's a very smart board, it's but it says buy, if you can read that. Um, and, and by the way, I'll take a five-year time horizon on almost anything. Um, I, I do think the move we've seen in PayPal, which made new fresh lows today. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. <laughs> okay? Need some water. Uh, fresh lows today, going to survive this one. I think PayPal will survive too. All right, take a sip, <laughs> Tim. Three buys. Anakshada's pitch on PayPal, which means that it's doomed. But you can still vote in our Twitter poll as CNBC Fast Money will bring you the results later on in the show. Coming up, plenty of big stock moves today. We will get the traders' thoughts on the most important ones. Do not go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a trader's choice on a couple of stocks making monster moves today. Blackstone giving up early gains to finish the day deeply in the red, despite reporting better than expected profit and revenues in the latest quarter. Shares have been up as much as 5.3% at highs. CSX, on the other hand, able to hold on to its gains. The rail operator also topping earnings estimates, saying an increase in shipping rates helped offset fewer shipments. Also on the upside, airlines, United, American, Alaska Air, all jumping today after positive earnings reports. The company is seeing strong demand a substantial pricing power. Meantime, Disney share is falling more than 2% today. The Florida House voted to eliminate the media giant's long-standing tax-exempt district there. Governor DeSantis is expected to sign the bill soon. Tam, I'll, I'll go to you first on Disney. What do you make of this? I, you know, we, we forget that Disney also was trading down, I think, on some of the Netflix sub-dynamics. And, and I, I look, the fact that they're at least settling in for a, a bit of a battle here, I don't think helps Disney. I, I think the bigger issues really are going to be around their sub-growth and, and their broader business, which, by the way, on a reopening basis, all the things that are good for airlines, I think, are generally good for Disney, a consumer that is stronger and certainly feeling a lot more confident getting out into these parks, a studio that's alive and well. Um, the, the headwinds here, I don't think, are really around Florida. Uh, I think they're around their streaming. Yeah. Guy, I know you're going to go to BX. Yeah, because you're in my head. You, I mean, you're often, you reside up there, but you are 100% correct. And I will tell you. It's roomy up there, she said. It is roomy. Not a lot going on up there. <laughs> Assets under management up 41% year over year. It's a staggering number. EPS beat was astronomical. And then you looked at the headline EP uh, revenue and you said, wait, that's so much better than expected. Then you look a year ago actually in line with one year ago. I think that's what the street looked at. That's what they honed in on incorrectly, in my opinion. The reversal absolutely scares me, but I still think Blackstone is the best financial name out there. <laughs> Which name you want, Jeff? I, I want to piggyback on Guy. I think Blackstone is interesting. And again, I don't know if it's the right stock for this market. Maybe it gets caught up in financials. I think that might be troubled. But in terms of a, a relative outperformer, I think Blackstone is, is, is very interesting. And their product, which is investment performance, continues to be very strong. And I think the most compelling thing for a longer term horizon is the fact that Goldman Sachs came out and said AUM and private investments could triple by 2026. So going from 10 trillion to 30 trillion. I'm seeing it in my business. Blackstone talked about on their earnings call. They talked about platform expansion. What a lot of these firms mean by that is bringing the retail investor into the fold. I think you're going to see that a lot and I think it will end up helping their bottom line. I was actually going to go Disney, but no one went with the airlines, so I'm going to go with the airlines. I, th go I think where, people go wherever you want, Grasso. I give you that license tonight. Okay, I'm going to go with the airlines. <laughs> so, so the airlines for me, it's experiential. Tim touched on this with Disney uh, properties. I think Disney shot themselves in the foot with what's going on in Florida. 
So I don't think it's buyable, although Disney is at that 118 support, just a tad above that. Airlines, for me, is where it's at, and I think they're about to break out here. And we've heard all the commentary has been uber bullish, and that's just the start of it with the, uh, with the, with the transports. And I think that people not wearing masks, huge tailwind for the industry. All right, coming up, New Jersey lighting up and getting in on the cannabis craze. Legal weed sales kicking off in the Garden State today. So are the pot stocks about to see some green? we got the details next. And April is Financial Literacy Month. Here's CNBC contributor Gina Sanchez on how she learned about money. I learned about money because I grew up poor with a single mother in South Texas. And every time we went out to a restaurant or made any purchase, my mother would take out a napkin and do the budget for the month to determine if we could make that purchase. And that's how I naturally began budgeting from the time I was 10. Check out the U.S. pot stocks going up in smoke today, even as New Jersey celebrates the first day of non-medical adult-use marijuana sales. Adults 21 and over can now purchase up to one ounce of cannabis from retail locations across the state. For more, let's bring in Curaleaf Executive Chairman Boris Johnson-Jordan, excuse me, live from the Benzinga <laughs> Cannabis Conference in Miami. Boris, um, great to have you with us. So Curaleaf currently operates three locations in New Jersey. So what are you seeing so far? I know it's just the first day. What are you seeing in terms of sales and um, how big of a market is New Jersey going to be for you? Thanks, Melissa. Great to be here. Uh, It's a big day today um, in New Jersey. Yesterday, we saw record sales in New Jersey uh, for 420. Um, Today, we're seeing the first day of adult youth sales. We've serviced over 1,000 customers. Uh, uh, till now. We've still got a few more hours to go. You know, New Jersey's going to be a $2 billion market, 2 to $3 billion market, not in the first year. We think uh, the next 12 months will be about a billion dollars. We think after that, it'll start to build. It'll eventually get to a 2 to $3 billion market. And with a 30% share in that market, we're feeling very good today with the final launch of adult use in New Jersey. There's a lot of marijuana out there. And I say that because the industry faces a margin problem. And I'm wondering when that gets straightened out, because even though on paper it seems like this would be a tremendous sector to invest in, it's not one that is, has, um, you know, done well for investors. Yeah, but that's not really a margin problem at all. I mean, margins are great. I mean, where else in CPG do you get 25 to 50 percent annual growth with 30 percent EBITDA margins in the, in the industry? I think the real problem is, is federal regulation, the fact that investors today just can't invest in the sector. Ninety percent of the largest investors in the world, long onlys, you know, the biggest investors today can't touch uh, invest in, can- in U.S. cannabis stocks. And I think that's been the real problem. And we need the federal regulators to get on top of the issue. Hey, Boris, it's Tim. Good to be with you in Florida this week. And I think the industry is focusing on on the drivers. Let me ask you of of the following uh, some type of a federal, uh, you know, some type of federal progress on legislation, M&A um, or, or really, you know, some type of, of margin uh, stability. What do you think are the biggest uh, expected drivers for the sector for the rest of this year? Well, listen, if you walk away from the issue of the stock market and stocks and you look at the fundamentals, as I said, the industry is growing. I mean, Curaleaf last year grew over 100 percent. We're going to grow 25 
percent this year, maybe even more with the adult use sales coming on a little bit earlier in New Jersey. We're going to be a one point five billion dollar revenue company, um, you know, with a thirty percent margin. You know, things are looking very, very good fundamentally in the industry, but we do have a plumbing problem, and the plumbing problem is that Washington's behind the eight ball on on federal regulation. We don't have banking regulation at the moment. Schumer just postponed what everybody knew was dead on arrival, his law. We're hoping what that leads to is either a safe in competes. I mean, competes act is being debated now in Congress. The Joint Committee on Competes is 70 percent for cannabis. So maybe we get a safe banking law in the Competes Act, or maybe we get it in the lame duck session in November and December after the election period. But we do need federal regulation in the sector. That's what's going to bring investors into the, into, the, into the stocks. But outside of that, the fundamentals of the business could not be better. I mean, we are growing at, at, at double-digit numbers, and right. our, our margins are very strong. Boris, great to see you. Thank you, Boris Jordan. Thank you for being here. Leaf. Tim, let's say you can wave the magic wand. What is what should this stock be worth? Well, I, let's let's be clear. Also, I mean, I think you've got a case here where a lot of these companies, including Boris's, are, are actually getting stronger every day. Uh, that the broader uh, lateral players, whether they're from pharma, big CPG, can't come into this market. The moat around their business gets bigger and bigger. I think the second half uh, sequential growth that's coming online in the sector, both in terms of new markets opening up and also new projects opening up, is actually massive. So the sequential slowdown, I think, is going to change. It's been a tough investment. Uh, and I think a lot of that is some of the technical factors, custodial issues, the inability of big institutional. This is a retail market right now. And unfortunately, there's a lot of noise that comes with that. Uh, but I do believe and I've been investing in the sector for a long time. I've run an ETF. I think that long term, uh, the growth and the margins here are things that you're not going to see at these levels, at least in other CPG. It's going to take some time. So just as Boris said, you need the federal legalization to cross across the finish line for any of these stocks to move. They're treated like drug dealers. You cannot run a business with the way the federal law is situated right now. All of these stocks are down year to date from 20 percent to 30 to 40 percent right now. But I think the uh, Congress will have one more shot before the midterms to actually take the social aspect out of the new bill. And maybe they can uh, legalize it on a federal level. And all of these stocks will double, triple, quadruple. They're just waiting for that one federal bullish headline. All right. Coming up, there's just a few more minutes to left to vote for Akshata's pitch on PayPal. You can vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money results and final trades next. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time to find out if the viewers at home are buying Akshata Valkyrie's fast pitch on PayPal. And, and, and unfortunately, more than half said no, 54%. That's probably because our traders voted yes. Um, time for the final trade. Always happens. Always does. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. I'm going to go back to the trade of choice and pick CSX, which wasn't discussed. Higher yield, below market multiple, and a discount to other rails. CSX. Jeff Mills. So I'm going the other way on broad transports. They're working on a 12% rally. I think you fade that as the economy slows. I think they go lower. Steve. Alcoa down pretty big, but I think you're still okay to take profits from here. Alcoa, sell. Guy. The Mets are on fire in flushing. I mean, it's crazy. We know what else is on fire? DGS Quest Diagnostics, big earnings report today. All right. Thank you all for watching Fast Money tonight. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.